Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be listening. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. As we continue reading through, no, actually, excuse me, this is yesterday's edition of Bible Bites. It's episode 312, as we continue reading through God's Holy Word this year. The reading for yesterday, and I'm going to be back in a little while with today's The reading for yesterday was in John chapter 9 through 10. So we're going to look at those two chapters, and there's some very powerful things here that the Lord wants us to hear. First of all, in the first 34 verses of chapter 9, we deal with um, a Jesus healing a blind man. And um, he's he's healed several blind men throughout his, his first coming ministry. But we have this account in John of this particular one. And I believe John gives us quite a few details here because it connects with what his whole mission in his book is. And that is that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Father of eternity, the one that can cause us to be born again and give eternal life to us. So he's healing this blind man. And this blind man has been blind from birth. Jesus says he's doing the Father's work. And he tells us in verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Uh, Friend, that is a verse for us to adopt also. We also must work the works of the one who has sent us. Jesus Christ is the one who has sent us. He gave us the great commission right before he ascended. We must work the works of him who sent us while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. So while we still have opportunity, let us work the works of God as well. Notice how this reveals the heart of the Father. Because Jesus, when we watch Jesus doing the works that Jesus did, He's doing them because it's the Father's will, because this is the Father who has sent him to do these very things. He's doing these in the Father's place in in a sense. So it reveals to us the heart of the Father. And sometimes we have this mental idea that God the Father is somewhere way up there, doesn't care about us, doesn't care about what's going on, doesn't care about our individual needs. And we may sense a distance or a disconnect. And that is not truth. And the way we know that that's not truth is because we look at Jesus. Jesus came and he said, in essence, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He said that at the Last Supper to his disciples. And when we see Jesus, he is doing exactly the same thing. There's a unity in the Godhead The Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God all are united. They are three in one. There is a a unity in the diversity and the differences in their roles and their persons, but yet there is a complete unity in them. So, um, So our God is one God revealed in three persons. And all of, th- all of that reveals the same heart and that beautiful heart from Father God. Praise be to the Lord. In verse 3 and 4, 
we notice also when Jesus is healing this man in three and four, it talks about doing the works of God and we need to adopt that as well. But as we go on, we see how he did this and notice that Jesus did this in a different way. He healed several blind people and he did them in different ways. And I believe that was because the miraculous work of God and the healings of God are not to be made into some formula that, you know, that we can copy or or treat it as if it's a God or as if it's some magic potion or something like that. God will not allow that. And that is not of the Lord. So in this case, he made some paste with dirt and his own spit And then he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now notice this, the man, the Jesus did a part of this work, but the man had to obey. The man had to believe and in believing there came legitimate and corresponding obedience. That is what sincere New Testament faith is. When we believe in Jesus We will do what his word has told us to do. The word of the Lord to this man was after he had put the anointing on his eyes, the word of the Lord came to him and said, now you go and you wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man had something to do as well and welcome as you join in. So this shows us that the man had true faith. He believed the word of the Lord and then correspondingly, he obeyed it. And because of that, he was healed. In John chapter 9, verse 11, we're still in this story. And in verse 11, Jesus tells him what to do. And it says in the end of that verse, so I went and washed and I received sight. So Jesus healed that man when that man believed and then obeyed. Now, the Pharisees challenge him about this, of course, and I love it because Jesus loves to do his miracles and his great wonders on the Sabbath day. And I think it was to trip them up in a sense, not that he was being mean, but what he's trying to communicate to them is that the Sabbath cannot overtake or overshadow the importance of people. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, and people are much more important to him. So he does this miracle on the Sabbath day. And they get all upset and everything. Well, notice this in verse 16, what they say. So it says, therefore, some of the Pharisees. Now, I want you to notice that because we're getting into a section here where we're seeing division among the Pharisees. And it's interesting because Nicodemus and Joseph of Ramah are only mentioned in certain particular spots when we go through the Gospels. However, we know that by the time of Jesus' death, they were secret believers in Jesus Christ and secret uh, disciples. So I do believe that there is um, some element of perhaps even Nicodemus and Joseph of Ramah being a part of some of these times where we're reading that there became a division among the Pharisees and some tended to believe in him and some didn't. But notice this where it says in verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. In other words, they were holding so staunchly to their tradition and what they believed 
that they understood from the law and just would not accept the new wine that Jesus was bringing. They could not see that it could be any different than what they believed. And because of that, they missed it. They missed out. And so, you know, Jesus talks about that a little bit when he talks about the, the new wine. The new wine requires new wineskins. The old wineskins have to be made new in order to receive the new wine and the blessing that is in it. And I have an article about that on my website if you'd like to read it. Um, it's up there about the new wine under my teaching articles on my website. So they don't believe that he can be the son of God and not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. That's what's tripping them up. And then others of them are saying, yeah, but how can a man do these great signs? I mean, that these signs can only come from God. And so some of them say that he's a prophet. But they did not believe the overall pharisaical uh, religious leaders that were there did not believe in him. And they didn't even believe this guy at first, and they're still trying they're trying to, to tell him he's a liar or something. So they even challenge, Are you sure you've been blind from birth? You know, they asked him, I said, Have you really been blind from birth? How then do you now see? And, you know, so they won't believe his word. So they call his parents in. And his parents say, Well, you know, his parents are afraid of the religious leaders because they've already let them know that we we don't want you believing in Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you that that's still true in Orthodox Judaism today. And, and we need to pray for God to open the eyes of the Jewish people and many, many more are coming to know Jesus Christ. And there are some valid reasons for why they're resistant and hesitant for that, of which the church is, is sincerely repentant and sorry for. But ne nevertheless, they wouldn't accept that Jesus could be the Christ. So these parents, being afraid of the Jews, said, this is my boy. Yes, he's been blind from birth, but we don't know how he got healed. He's old enough. Ask him. So they throw it, you know, kind of to him or whatever. And so he tells them, you know, it's interesting in verse 24, before they ask the young man again, notice this little warning they try to throw out to intimidate him. So they again called the man who was born who was blind and said to him, give glory, give God the glory. Now we know that this man is a sinner. In other words, you know, you got to tell us what we want to hear. We ain't going to listen to you. If you tell us that this man did this and, and you're glorifying God and telling me that he's Jesus, the son of God. No, that ain't going to work. Give God the glory. Now don't, don't say that this man is who he he's not because they're not believing in him and they refuse to believe in him. So the, the guy says, hey, listen, guys, I don't know if this man's a sinner or not. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Oh, hallelujah. How precious is that? One of these uh, types of scripture even may have inspired the author of that beautiful, beloved um, song that we all know and love so well, Amazing Grace. All I know, he says, is that once I was blind, but now I see. He's got physical sight here. We're going to see in a little bit where Jesus takes it a step further. But can we see that also on the spiritual side? Hallelujah. So they ask him, well, what did he do to you to get you to give you your sight back? And he tells them, he says, I've already told you and you're not believing me. So why do you want to hear it again? And then I love how he says this. Do you also want to become his disciples? 
And, you know, they reviled him then and said, well, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. So, you know, they're boasting in their knowledge of Moses and all of that. Really religious, really self-righteous. And they're not, in fact, self-righteous. As a matter of fact, we find out later where Jesus tells them that they are blind. They are spiritually blind. They may have physical vision. There are many people, even today, that may have physical eyesight, but they do not have spiritual eyesight. They're blinded by the things of the enemy and by the things of the world. Notice, however, though, that this man confesses Jesus. He tells, he tells the Pharisees, he answers them, and he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So then they get mad at him because they say, are you trying to teach us? Are you better than us? And so they cast him out. Notice this in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, This man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So this man now comes to spiritual sight where he had been spiritually blinded and didn't recognize and have that full revelation of who Jesus was, now he does. And I want to point out one other thing that we're, that's going to tie us to chapter 10, because Jesus in chapter 10 comes up, uh, on the stage talking about him being the good shepherd. And this ties with the Old Testament prophecy that is found in Ezekiel chapter 34. If you'll read in Ezekiel 34, God is very angry in the first few verses with the false shepherds that are not treating people right, and he promises that he will give them one shepherd, a good shepherd, and this shepherd will do several things. And so that chapter gives us the pattern and the instructions for those who are called to be pastors or shepherds of congregations and flocks of believers. And so it ties with 1 Peter 5 and Peter's instructions as well. But one of the things that God said the good shepherd would do is that the good shepherd would go after those that had been driven away. The false shepherds were driving away the sheep, and the good shepherd would come and go after those that were being driven away and bring them back. And that's exactly what we see here because this blind man, after the, he doesn't tell the Pharisees what they want to hear and they won't receive what he says, they cast him out. But Jesus finds him. He goes to that one that was driven away and he brings it back and he brings him to the knowledge now, that spiritual revelation that gives him spiritual vision to see exactly who Jesus is and, uh, and who he was and his need for Jesus as his Savior. So this man gets saved now and he says, Lord, I believe. And he begins to worship him. Now notice, 
in the next few verses, beginning in verse 39, Jesus begins to talk about some of the, the reason he's come so that those that do not see may see and those that see or think they see may be made blind. In other words, they may be um, revealed that they're truly blind spiritually. Then some of the Pharisees said to him, are we blind also? And then he goes on and he begins to answer that question. Now notice in our Bibles, there's a chapter division here and we start chapter 10. However, the whole thing beginning in verse 41 of chapter 9 is Jesus' discourse here where he is explaining the answer to the question that was presented to him in verse 40 of chapter 9. So it continues on into chapter 10. And into chapter 10, he clearly reveals that he is the good shepherd. He speaks about how the ones that come before him that enter through any other means but the door, they are thieves and robbers. He says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So he's giving them an analogy here, and then he's going to explain it in the verses coming, coming up here in a, in a moment. He speaks about how the doorkeeper will open to him. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name individually and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse five, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. He's using this illustration to try to show them. Now they don't fully get it. They don't understand, but he's showing that there, these doorkeepers, some of these people that had made themselves doorkeepers had, uh, were really thieves and robbers, the, the Jewish people that were not believing in him because he's coming as the shepherd of the sheep to the doorkeeper and he is the door, but these doorkeepers don't want to let him in. They don't want to believe in him. So he goes on and he is explaining this to us. Jesus is the shepherd. The doorkeepers were the religious Jews that would accept and welcome him and open him in. He is the shepherd. He is the door. He is also the shepherd calling all of his sheep by name. They hear him and they recognize him. And I love that it is by name. That signifies individual relationship. Jesus knows us. Psalm 23, a beloved psalm that we many of us can quote and we love very much, says the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me in the paths of righteousness and for his own name's sake and so forth. And you go all the way through that and you see that he is an individual and a personal God. And that is who our Lord Jesus is. He leads them out because he needs to bring them out. The, the corral, the, the space where the doorkeeper would, the door of the sheep would be the shepherd that would lay down in the door at night to protect them. He would guard them in, a, in an enclosure, um, a corral kind of thing. And then in the morning and so forth during the day, 
He would rise up. He would lead the sheep out of there because they needed to go to pasture. They needed to go get water to drink. They needed rest. They needed exercise. They needed sunlight. They needed movement. They needed these things that this good shepherd was going to lead them into. So it's a beautiful picture of him daily walking with them, leading them. Hallelujah. It also shows us Jesus fulfilling Ezekiel chapter 34 and also giving us the pattern that Peter used when he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5 about pastors being those shepherds of the sheep, under shepherds. Jesus leads his true sheep, and they're not going to follow anybody else, including tradition and religion. They're going to listen to his voice. Hallelujah. So now he begins to clearly explain it to him in the next few verses. And he tells him, he says, you know, I am the, the true shepherd. Let's read verse 7 through 10. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He's talking about the sheep. That's the they. I've come so that my sheep will have life and have that more abundantly. He goes on and he talks about, I'm the good shepherd. And now he begins to prophesy about his death and his resurrection and what it will accomplish because he is going to give his life in place of his sheep. He talks about, he contrasts the true shepherd with the hireling, and he makes it known that he is the true shepherd. The hireling is going to leave the sheep when danger and the wolf come. He's not, he really doesn't care about them because he doesn't own them. They don't belong to him. He doesn't have a close relationship with them, but Jesus, the good shepherd, does, and he's going to stay there and fight for them to the point that he will lay down his own life. Notice in verse 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. And he says he's the good shepherd earlier. He talks about laying down his life for the sheep. So he's doing that on our behalf and in, play, in our place. Praise God that he has done that for us, just like Isaac willingly laid down on that altar as an adult man of about 30 years old. Most people believe 25, 30, something, somewhere in there. As an adult man, he willingly laid on the altar in Genesis 22, a beautiful picture of the father and of the son, where the son willingly laid on the cross of Calvary and gave his life for you and for me. Praise be to God. So we go on and we find that at the Feast of Dedications in Jerusalem, Solomon is uh, in Solomon's porch. Jesus is teaching. 
And, you know, these Pharisees and religious leaders try to tell him, he says, well, how long are you going to keep? Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? Do you claim to be the Messiah? And he says, I told Jesus answered them, verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. And then he goes on down and he says in verse 30, I and my father are one. Now, boy, oh boy, that shook him up. That stirred up the religious Jews. They take up stones to stone him. Not because of the works they say, but because they interpreted that to mean that he claimed to be God and they only saw him as a man. So therefore they saw this as blasphemy. But then he goes on down and he explains to them how he is in fact the Lord God in the flesh and how he could only be doing these works because of him being the son of God. And he says, if you don't believe me for what I'm telling you, believe me for the works because the works themselves testify that I am of God. And that is true because you can see one prophecy fulfilled through the life of Jesus being what he declared was his prophetic life scripture anyway, in terms of his mission on earth. And that is Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and the first part of verse 2 where it says that he would come and he would release the captives he would bring light to into darkness he would um, preach the gospel to the poor he would heal those that were sick and bind up broken hearts and all of that and he did in fact fulfill those things praise God and thank the Lord for our beautiful Savior may the Lord bless you today I pray in Jesus' name that this has been a blessing to you and that, Lord willing, you can join me again for future episodes of Bible Bites, and I hope to be back on later today with today's lesson. God bless you in Jesus' name.